1 Timothy chapter 4, reading the whole chapter. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come from hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry or order them to abstain from certain foods which God has created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance and for all we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the savior of all men and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which is given to you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of the Lord. Let's, uh, let's pray together and then we'll get into God's word. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you are an awesome God. Uh, thank you that you are a God uh, who speaks to us uh, in your word. And thank you that you show us Jesus. We pray that today as we hear from your word that we would all be challenged to keep growing in our faith. And we pray that as we leave this morning we would be able to say that we met with the living God uh, and we have been changed by the living God. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So I feel like whenever we see a sign that gives us information on how we can save our life, we all kind of listen to it. They're called warning signs, right? And up in North Queensland, they're everywhere. So if you've ever been there, those warning signs are everywhere. It's like 40 degrees up there. So you think, I'm going to go to the beach. You go to the beach, but actually you can't swim. There's signs everywhere that say, if you swim, there are jellyfish that you can't see that will sting you and it could be fatal. There's, it's a warning sign. So you hear that and you stay away. If you're going fishing, which, which really is the only other thing to do up there, um, you, there's warning signs everywhere. So there's signs with crocodiles saying, don't go near this water. It, it's a warning sign make you, to make you keep away from it. So unless the fishing's really good, you stick away from it. But these are warning signs. And we all, our ears perk up when we see warning signs. We listen to warning signs. But I found a better warning sign this week. It was online, so it doesn't really count. But here it is. This is the warning sign. It says, cliff area, keep out. Going beyond this point may result in death. 
and or loss of skiing privileges. So it's good to see that they're just covering their bases there. For those of us who are terrified of losing our skiing privileges, they're saying this is what's going to happen if you go past this point. But obviously for those of us who are scared of death, that's, the warning sign's going to work. But see, no matter how ridiculous this sign is, I think it would still work, right? You, you might laugh at it, but it would still work. You would be going towards the cliff, you see this sign and you readjust. You move, you change your direction. Now, as we get into our passage today, what we see is that Paul actually gives us a warning sign. I don't know if you caught it, but it's at the end there. In verse 16, Paul's giving us a warning sign. He says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul's saying to Timothy, watch yourself. Check yourself. It's a warning. Watch out. Watch your life and doctrine closely, because if you don't, if you get it wrong... It's going to end badly. It, ultimately, it's going to end in death. And so as we come to this passage today, our question is not, what is the warning? The warning's clear. He's saying, what's your life and doctrine? The question for us is, what does that look like? What does it look like for us to watch our life and doctrine closely? I mean, we know what it doesn't look like. We know what results, what, what happens when people don't watch their life and doctrine. I mean, it's all through the news. We see it every day. Something new is in the news because some church got it wrong. They didn't watch their life closely. They didn't watch their doctrine closely. And so that's what it looks like when they get it wrong. But how do we get this right? What does it look like? Well, Paul begins it all. He starts it all in chapter 4, verse 1. And I think he addresses the key thing first, and that's the doctrine. What's your doctrine? This is what he says in verse 1. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such, teaching come through, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. So what it seems like is happening here is that people are coming into the church and the church is about Jesus. They're believing in Jesus. This is the early church. They've changed from Judaism or wherever they've come. They're believing in Jesus. And it seems like here what's happening is people are saying, yeah, believe in Jesus, but... You also need to abstain from marrying. You also need to abstain from eating certain foods. Don't do that. So ultimately what they're doing is adding to Jesus. And Paul says because they're adding to Jesus, they have abandoned the faith. Now before we get to why they have abandoned the faith, there's something he says there that's also pretty big. He says they're following deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Now, this is a big statement, and I know that we're in a church that's in a Western culture, that we're a pretty conservative Presbyterian church, and so we don't often talk about the spirit and the spiritual realm, but it's real, right? We believe in a spiritual realm. Our battle's not just flesh and blood. What you see is not what you get. There is something bigger going on here, and when they believe a lie, when they add to Jesus, ultimately, they're following the father of lies. They're following Satan. They're following demons. Right? And so he's getting at that here. He's saying they've followed demons. They've abandoned the faith. Big language, right? Huge language here. Now, I don't know if you feel like it's necessary language. I mean, they've abandoned the faith. They're following demons. Why is what they're doing such a big deal? Why is it just saying that you can't do certain things such a big deal? Well, the reason it's such a big deal is what Paul's already pointed out to us in 1 Timothy. 
So if you've been here for the last few weeks, we've seen Paul explain to us the good news of Jesus. So we saw it, if you have your Bibles there, we see it first in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. Paul says this, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. This is the good news of Jesus, right? We are sinful and we deserve to be judged. We deserve to go to hell. We deserve to die. But Christ Jesus came into the world to save us. This is the good news. This is our hope. This is everything to us. He says it again in chapter 2. And I think this one's arguably, it's, no, it's just as good. Chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, uh, between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given at the proper time. Right? He uses the language that Jesus gave himself as a ransom. Now, I don't know if you've watched movies lately, but, but we all know what a ransom looks like. The picture's not the guy's just like, we're just walking around freely, choosing what we want to do. The picture is we're stuck, where we can't save ourselves. The picture is we have, we're chained up in a room, there's guards watching the room, we can't get out, we can't save ourselves. But Jesus, he gave himself as a ransom. He said, I'll take their place. Put me in, let them go. That's what his death's all about. Right? So this is the gospel. This is the good news that we have. If we could save ourselves, Jesus wouldn't need to die. Right? We, we get that. If Jesus, if we could actually do stuff to save ourselves, then Jesus doesn't need to die a brutal death. But he did die. He did die. He came to save sinners who couldn't save themselves. This is the gospel. So when you add to the gospel, really what you're doing is saying, Jesus didn't need to die. I could do part of this job. I could fix myself. I could do this. And the problem is when you add stuff to Jesus, everything else falls apart. So a few weeks ago, we were at a youth camp and it was Sunday morning and uh, the kids are normally asleep till 11.30. No, it's not quite that bad, but I hear some noise in, on Sunday morning and the noise is a specific type of noise. It's a giggle and we all know giggles come from only one source. So I get up and go outside and there's um, three girls that are awake and uh, they've made these incredible card houses. Now, now, first thing that runs through my head is, man, how long have these girls been awake? Because they're some serious card houses, right? Like the kind of ones that you need, you need whole packets to make. You need time and precision to sort of watch your hand, stuff that I just don't have. And so I'm thinking, that's my first thought. The second one is just, man, this is amazing. These are awesome. These are great card houses. But what we know is once card houses get to a certain height, it doesn't take much to bring them to the ground. Right? Actually, all it takes is a grade 7 boy, but we all know that, right? That when card houses get to a certain type, it doesn't take much to bring that whole thing down. Now, whether that was your childhood or not, whether you made card houses or not, maybe you were born before the TV, I don't know, but, but we all know this, right? We all know this with card houses. When you add anything to the top, it falls to the ground. What we get with Jesus is similar. Right now, not because Jesus is weak and brittle, but, but because when we add to Jesus, when we add anything to Jesus, the whole thing falls apart. And so in this church, what they're saying is that, that you just can't, so believe in Jesus, but just don't get married. Believe in Jesus, but just don't eat certain foods. They're adding to Jesus. For us today, you might have heard it, believe in Jesus, but just don't drink alcohol. 
And if you do, we're going to question your faith. Believe in Jesus, but you have to believe certain things about, as we spoke a few weeks ago, open-handed issues, right? adding to Jesus. But the problem is when you add to Jesus, everything falls apart. You have nothing left. Paul says they've abandoned the faith. They've left it. He says you've you got to get Jesus right. You've got to get the gospel right. It's important. You, and, and, and the thing is, too, we have to work at it. We have to train ourselves in this. And that's where Paul goes. Verse 6, he says to Timothy, teach this stuff. But verse 7, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, I, I, I've just started running again feel like I could say that over the last six months, probably about eight times that I've started running again, but I'm back, right? I've started again. And if you're a runner, you know that the first run of the season's always the worst. Like not only are you slow, but you're telling yourself to give up. It's a mental battle. But the thing is, the more you run, the better you get, right? The more consistent you go, the more you do it, the better you get, right? Now, this isn't mind-blowing stuff to us, is it? We all know this. Like, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but if you think Forrest Gump is real and that you can go to bed unfit and wake up and decide to run for two years, it's just not real, right? We know that. When you go to bed unfit, you don't wake up fit. You wake up unfit, probably more unfit. Some of us are doing things in our sleep that are hurting our backs. and our, I'm not there yet, but some of us are doing that in our sleep. When you go to bed unfit, you wake up unfit. Right? And Paul's saying godliness is kind of like that. He's saying godliness is like that. The more you train in it, especially doctrine, and, and doctrine, if, if I should have explained this before, but doctrine is our belief, our understanding of God. It's our, it's our understanding of who God is and what he's done. Paul's saying if you're training yourself in that, you will grow, you will progress, you will get, you will get better at it, you will understand more. My experience of this was that when I became a Christian, right, I wrote stuff in this Bible that I don't even understand. But as I've grown, I start really, I grow in my faith, right? And Paul's saying, train yourself in godliness, work at this. But there's two things Paul's not saying, right? So when he says, train yourself in godliness, there's two things that he's not saying here. The first thing he's not saying is he's not saying you need to train yourself in godliness. And if you do, you will, like, he's not adding to Jesus here, right? He's not saying, train yourself in God, trust in Jesus and do this. And if you don't do this, you're not saved. That's not what he's doing. What he's saying here is if you train yourself in godliness, you'll be better able to discern, right? It's about discerning what's right and wrong. So ultimately, we don't just wake up one day believing a lie, right? So that's why he's, that's the first thing he's not saying. He's not adding to Jesus. But the second thing he's not saying is he's not saying move away from the gospel, move away from Jesus, Right? So no matter how much we grow, no matter how old we are and how long we've been in the faith, we'll never move away from how good the gospel is, how good Jesus is. And that's why we get verse 9. He says, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And for this we labor and strive that we have put our hope in, a, in the living God, who is the savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Jesus is getting at the goodness of the gospel here. We have a living God. That's awesome. Right? God's not dead. He's living. He's active. He's interested in you. He wants a relationship with you. We have a living God. 
who is the saviour of all men. Now, let's not get carried away here, right? Especially those who believe God does want to save all people, but only those who trust in Jesus will ultimately be saved. It's like that John 3.16, God loved the world so much that he sent the, his only son, but only those who believe in him will have eternal life. Right, so he's saying, get, get, don't move away from the gospel. Don't move away from how good the gospel, how good Jesus really is. And it's important. I mean, the warning sign is watch this. Check yourself in this. Check yourself. Watch your doctrine. Watch your belief closely. Because I don't know if you picked up, but these men who are chasing after other things, their consciences have been seared. So I don't think they realize what they were doing. I don't think they were intentionally following demons. I don't know if anyone would intentionally do that. But because they didn't watch themselves, because they didn't check what they understood, they eventually found themselves believing a lie. I mean, it's kind of like that passage in the Gospels where Jesus says, at the end, some people will say, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. I mean, isn't that frightening? Isn't that scary, the idea that one day, like getting to God after thinking you followed him your whole life and saying, Lord, Lord, and him saying, depart from me, I never knew you? That's scary. That's real stuff there. So how do we avoid that? How do we avoid falling into the trap that these people in this church fell into? Well, the warning sign, the sign at the edge of the cliff, what Paul's saying, watch yourself. Check yourself. Watch your doctrine. Watch your belief. Know why you believe what you believe. And so how do we do that? Well, here's three things that I've done that have helped me in this. And I'm not perfect. I haven't nailed this down. You just have to meet with someone I meet up with and they'll tell you that I struggle to do this. But here's three ways that we can watch our doctrine, that we can watch our belief. The first way is to create a routine in our life where we can read the Bible. Right now, I know if you've been in church for a while, you've heard, yeah, read your Bible. But, but I've found in the past that if I don't create a routine, a time in my day to actually do it, I just don't do it. Like if I say I want to be organic in this, I want to just do it off my own kind of want and desire, it just doesn't happen consistently. And so I, I create a routine. And so for me, the way it looks like, I get up, I check the Broncos score, I have a coffee, I, I eat breakfast, and then I read before I do anything else, and then I have a shower and go to work. Right? That's, that's my routine, and it works on the days that I work. The routine works. Now, I know looking out here this morning, some of us need to be more creative than I am. Like, I'm not unaware that we have kids that wake us up at 3 a.m. And, and we have stuff to do in the morning. We have lunches to prepare and, and, and our kids just won't leave us alone. And so some of us need to be more creative than I am in us. But the good news is, is that there's other ways to read our Bible. Right? There's an audio Bible these days that we can listen to as we go to work. If you're at work, finding space in your work, 15 minutes is all it really takes, sometimes even less, to, to read the Bible, just to get in, to check ourselves, to check what we believe and what we understand. It might mean at home when the kids are in bed, and even though you also want to clean up or have a nap, it, it might mean just finding that little bit of time to read and, and check, your, check your doctrine. Right. So that's the first way that... Um, that we can check ourselves, that we can watch ourselves. The second way is uh, pretty simple as well. It's with podcasts. And I know that there's, so podcasts are sermons that are uploaded onto the internet and you can listen to them. I can feel the irony of it that our 
podcast can't be uploaded at the moment through church, right? I know that. But the good news is, is there's other good people that also do sermons and put them online. And so I've found in the past, this is great to check ourselves, to check our doctrine, to watch ourselves, right? And so for me in the past, uh, there was a time where I couldn't get to sleep at night. And so I'd listen to podcasts and it did the job. But it's surprising how much you remember when you do that. And it was actually really beneficial to my faith. So, so that's uh, one way we can do it when we drive, when we run, when we ride, whatever we do. Where we can listen to sermons where people have wrestled with the passage. And, and that way we can check ourselves and check what we believe. The, the final way to do it too is, uh, I think it's really easy, just liking stuff on Facebook that's actually good. I know not all of us have Facebook or Twitter or whatever, but following pages that post good content is actually good. And look, I, I'm the same as you unless you're better at this than me, but I know for the most part I just scroll through that and I'm not reading that. But what happens is, is that I hear, see the title and then someone talks about it and then I'm actually able to refer to that. So that's kind of three ways that we can actually grow in this. Now, if you're hearing this stuff of like read the Bible and you're thinking you're feeling guilty because you haven't been reading or because you haven't been listening or growing in this, then we're seeing the warning sign wrong, right? Warning signs aren't designed to make us feel guilty. You never get to the edge of a cliff and see a sign that says don't go past this edge or you will die and feel guilty because you've read the warning sign. They're not designed like that. They're designed to make us readjust and to straighten our path again. That's what warning signs are there for. And that's what Paul's saying. Check yourself. Watch your doctrine. Check what you believe. Now, there's other ways to do this as well. I mean, you can read books and I I read books as well. We can read church history. Uh, If you want to read church history, a real simple way is just being consistent to church and growth group where you can actually get more stuff. Uh, One way if we have kids too is being consistent for their sake as well in kids' church and youth as well. That's another way that we can do that to help our kids out in this area to watch themselves. Paul's saying watch yourself, check yourself, watch your doctrine. But this is only half the, the warning. This is only half the warning sign. Paul says watch your life and doctrine closely. And that's where he goes. Verse 11, he says this, Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Watch your life and doctrine closely. It's the two aspects of it. Now, There's a couple of things going on here because it kind of seems like Paul's adding to Jesus, right? Add good works to Jesus and you will save yourself. But that's not what Paul's saying, right? We have to see this right. The fruit of Jesus is good works, right? So you never look at an apple on a tree and think, wow, what a great tree that produced. Now, I know there's some sitting here going, well, technically the seed's there and that grew up the tree. But you never look at the apple at the end of a tree and go, that produced the tree, do you? You look at the apple and say, the tree produced this, right? The gospel, when we get Jesus, it produces fruit. And the reason we check our fruit, our good works, is to make sure we got Jesus right, right? So he's saying, check yourself, what's your life and doctrine closely. Now, I grew up in a Christian family. Uh, My parents did a great job at teaching me doctrine, teaching me the the gospel 
in the Bible. I also went to a church just like this, and so I think I got taught pretty well. But I wish someone had said to me, what's your life as well? What's your life and doctrine? Actually, I know they probably did. I just wasn't interested. So, so Paul's saying here, what's your life and doctrine closely? Check your fruit. Check what's happening. And he does that by saying in verse 12, set an example for the believers. And it's not just for young people, right? It's, he's saying, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But it's not just for young people. It's for all of us. Set an example for the believers. Now, again, I went to a Christian school, so I, you know, some of you are thinking, man, he's sheltered, and maybe you're right. But I went to a Christian school and got told this, this verse, right? Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And so I didn't. Right? I was like, well, you can't. I'm young. Don't look down on me. Again, that's not what Paul's saying here. He's saying set the example. Don't give people a chance to look down on you. Whatever age you are, don't give people a chance to look down on you. And in doing this, set an example for the, for the believers in these things. Now, again, the language he uses is set the example. So he's not saying compare yourself. We live in a world where we compare ourselves. Social media, I put my best stuff up, you put your best stuff up, and at the end of the day, we both feel bad because we haven't been as good as the other. right? But the reality is life is a little bit different to that. He's not saying compare yourself to the person who read their Bible on Facebook today. He's saying check yourself, set the example. So what does it look like to set the example? Well, imagine you had someone following you around, someone younger who's interested to see what Jesus changes, the way that Jesus changes life. Imagine in these areas, and and he's about to get really practical. He says set the example, first of all, in speech. If someone followed you around this week and wrote down everything you said, how would you go? I'd be stuffed. Right? And so as I hear this warning sign, I need to readjust. He's saying, set the example in speech. How are you going at that? How are you going at with, with what you say? How do you go at talking? Are, are you gossiping? Talking about people behind their backs? Talking about people's business that isn't your business? How are you going at speech? Paul's warning here is check yourself. Watch yourself. Your life could be on the line in speech, in life. If someone was to pursue you, was to this week, was to follow you around, what would they say is driving you? What would they say is driving you to do what you do? Would they say that uh, the results at school is driving you? Would they say that good marks is driving you? Or that money is driving you to do what you do? Or is it Jesus? Right? Check yourself. Check the example in love. How are we going at loving people? Jesus said, love as I have loved you. How are we going at that? With people who aren't lovely, who aren't like us, who hate us. Do we say things like, I will never forgive them or I hate them? Paul's saying, check yourself. Watch yourself here. It's important that we love people, that we're setting an example in love. In faith, we talked about this. We talked at doctrine about this. Check your beliefs. But I think an important one is too, not just knowing what we believe, but enjoying Jesus. We have a living God. Not a God that wants us to tick off the list, but a living God who's interested in us. How are we going at enjoying what God has done for us? Are enjoying that God, what, uh, what God has done for us? And finally, in purity. In uh, the Bible, purity has this idea, broadly speaking, of getting rid of stuff that corrupts us. So in Timothy, later on, we'll see that money's an issue. 
but there is the elephant in the room when it comes to purity that the stats tell us that both men and women struggle with. Now, before we just call it as it is, I mean, for, for us, I mean, for some of us, we need to think, are we taking the second look, right? You know what I'm talking about there. Are we, when we drive along and see someone that looks good, do we see them? Do we move away? And then we have the second look. Are we trying to think about them? Men, are we thinking about women that aren't our wives? But this is what he's getting at. Set the example in purity, but the big one's porn, right? The stats are ridiculous. Men and women struggle with this. Paul's saying, check yourself. Watch yourself. Your life is on the line here. If you're letting this slide, your life could be on the line here. And so if we're taking the warning seriously, it's not meant to make us feel guilty. It's meant to make us adjust. What are you doing about your addiction? What are you doing about what you're looking at? Are you setting the example? I mean, something that, and, and how are you changing in that? For the youth leaders, when they sign up to be a youth leaders, all the males need to get this program called Covenant Eyes, where they basically are checking themselves. It's a program that sends their reports to me every month, so I see what they're looking at. Uh, my report gets sent to someone else, so someone's checking what we're looking at. It's important we take this seriously. Our lives are on the line here. And another thing, while, while porn is a big issue, the other issue that I think we don't even talk about is with movies. Right? There are movies these days that are PG that are basically porn. Right? There are movies that as soon as we go up, we're watching stuff that you could put online and people would pay for. That's how bad they are. What are you doing in that? Are you letting it slide? Are you okay with watching that sex scene? Is that okay for you? I mean, what we do in our marriage that uh, we got taught, someone told us a while ago, is that when something like that comes up in a movie, Elizabeth covers my eyes. Now, I know it looks ridiculous, but if we're taking it seriously, if, our, if eternity's on the line here, you tell me what, what, what is ridiculous. Is it ridiculous having your wife cover your eyes or is it ridiculous putting your life on the line, putting eternity on the line here? But something there does look ridiculous and it's not Elizabeth covering my eyes. So check ourselves in purity. And finally, he says, check yourself, watch yourself in how you serve. Paul's saying to Timothy, make sure you're serving with the gifts that you have in preaching and teaching. Don't neglect your gift that you were given. Now, it's easy to think that this is just a Timothy. We don't have, we're not, maybe we're not preachers, we're not teachers. But the reality is the, the principle is the same. He's saying, check yourself in how you serve. Right? We're all gifted. The Bible's picture is that we're all gifted in some ways. Not all of us have the preaching gig, but we're all gifted. It's a gift to make someone feel welcome. It's a gift to welcome a new person. It's a gift. Hospitality is a gift. It's a gift to serve behind the scenes. It's a gift to serve in ways that people wouldn't even notice with computers and admin and everything like that. It's, it's a gift. Paul's saying, check yourself. How are you using your gifts? How are you going in doing this stuff? And why is he saying, check your life? Why is he doing it? Well, it's important. It's important, and that's how he finishes. Verse 15, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Checking ourselves is important. Watching our life and doctrine is important. Hearing the warning sign is important. 
right? Because our lives are on the line. Now, it's not meant to make us feel guilty. We're not meant to go home and think, I need to work hard, I need to do more. It's meant to make us adjust. How is our doctrine? How is our understanding of God? Are we growing in that? How is our lives? Is the fruit of the gospel clear? Paul's saying, check yourself. And he's not writing this for the people sitting next to you. right? He's not writing this for anyone else. He's writing it for you. He's not writing it for my wife so I can say, you need to go home and do this. He's writing it for you, for us. Now, we all know the pain when someone who is in church walks away from church. We know that it hurts like hell when someone gives up on Jesus. He's not saying this to them. He's saying it to you. Watch yourself. Your life is on the line. Eternity's at stake. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you that Jesus has saved us by grace, that he has done this. Thank you, Jesus, that we weren't good enough, that we couldn't save ourselves, but that Jesus did, that he paid the ransom. Lord, we know that as we wrestle with this stuff, that it's hard, that, that it, it, it's a wake-up call, it's a, an adjustment that we all have to make in some ways. Help us, Lord, not to do this out of guilt, but to do this knowing that you're a gracious God, a merciful God, a God that is giving us this warning. Help us to do this because of you and because of what, you do, what you've done. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.